0: All right, okay. Jean, Are you ready to be counted I'm ready, mommy. Okay, ready in хамеш, арба, шелос, стайм. Yeah. Hey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where my mom's? Where my mom's? Where my mom's at? Where my mom's wearing thongs, hitting mom's at? Raising kids, cleaning shits, need a long nap. Where my mom's? Where my mom's? Where my mom's at?
0: Where my mom's? At. Oh, oh my goodness! I have such a treat for you, listeners, all your moms and mommies and daddies. Dr. Deborah So is here with me. She wrote the end of gender, which is about not what you think it's about. Which is why she's here with us. Welcome,
1: Deborah So, Thank Doctor. You. Thank you for having me. Man,
0: let me tell you, I I just think you're brilliant. I heard you on Joe Rogan, and then I heard you with Dr. Drew, and then I bought your book, The End of Gender. I bought the physical copy. It sits on my nightstand. I have the Audible book. I listen to it in the car. I've given it to other people. You're just, I think you're so goddamn smart, and I just hope I'm smart enough to talk to you today. (laughs)
1: I think you give me way too much credit. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited I love to be you. here. And thank you. So you have
0: a PhD in the neuroscience of sex. Mm-hmm. And now you currently work as a journalist. Yes. So your book, it's so controversial. You've been pulled off the shelves at Walmart. People are so mad. Why is everybody so mad at sweet Dr. Debra So?
1: You'll have to ask them. I really don't know. Anyone who reads the book tells me. They say, I don't understand why this is seen as controversial. I don't understand why people say you're hateful, you're so reasonable. The book is so balanced and compassionate. I think a lot of it is that people who have not read my work, they have no idea what I have to say about it. They have no idea what I stand for. It's much easier to demonize someone like me instead of taking the time to actually understand my argument or to read the research that I cite. And I think, at some level, because I challenge this orthodoxy, the only way they can really argue with it, because they don't have a point, they can't argue with the research, is to shut me down or to call me names. So that's that's my understanding. But I, I it, does, it has been a relief to me to hear people like you. I mean, I, I'm so grateful to you being willing to have me on and people giving me a fair chance and not judging me based on what other people say, because I do think if you actually take the time to read The End of Gender, you'll see. That it's not what people say it is. It's not hateful.
0: Uh, by the way, and, and might I point out is that I there's so many similarities. I feel you and I have. I have a PhD and awesome too. But no, no, you you do you, no. You you're like you you said before. You grew up kind of with a punk ethic, as did I. A DIY and that you were were um, a supporter of the gay community. You grew up with gay men teaching you mm-hmm. how to be subversive and fun and like you're you're a huge proponent of of this community so like people first of all let's start with the compassion and i feel that reading your book the compassion you do have for trans people or whatever gay people all of those people there's like love (laughs) in the book but okay so why why are people well let's start from the beginning you're i feel like you're galileo you're galileo (laughs) and this copernican heliocentric model is around and you're like listen guys this is just this is it this is the science of it and everybody's still like i'm stuck they're stuck in societal whatever and they don't want to listen to you and they want to persecute so so what are you saying in your book let's just start there that's so outrageous what do you think people are responding to
1: in terms of uh what i'm saying i mean like you said i grew up in the gay community i really actually credit my friends my my gay love friends for making me the woman I am, you know, I'm very proud of that. And I've been a typical, like a little bit more male typical, which people get upset at me for saying that because they think that when a woman says that, that that you're trying to be cool, right? Or that you're saying that right. it's, it's not good to be female. I'm not saying that at all. I'm very proud to be a woman for sure. But I'm saying there are some of us who are a little bit different like that. And I don't think there's any shame in that either. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But in terms of um, the compassionate aspect, yeah, I think that's very important. I have a lot of love for all these communities, for trans people, for intersex people, for anyone with gender dysphoria, anyone who's struggling. And so I don't think the two things are necessarily incompatible in that. I think you can criticize this orthodoxy or the dogma or the anti-science movement that's being pushed by people who are really in favor of these woke ideas about gender while still being compassionate. And in fact, yes. I have a lot of people who reach out to me from the trans community because I'm not transgender. I never want to seem like I'm speaking for trans people. And they will say they agree with me. And they're they're grateful for the things I say because they say the activists are not representing them. And in many cases, the activists themselves are not transgender.
0: Yeah, that's that seems to be, we're uh, <laughs> talking about this with Ryan Sickler, a lot of angry white ladies uh, white ladies <laughs> tend to be <laughs> standing up for everybody. Uh, but I love what you say. So you do say this in your book. So basically, if I, I'm I'm paraphrasing grossly, so please correct me, is that you are having the, quote, audacity to say that there are two genders. There are these things called gametes, mm-hmm. right? You either produce sperm or eggs. Yeah. And then there's a spectrum in terms of... How, Personality, right? So so you say like you're a male typical female. I would identify as a male typical female. I'm in a male dominated industry. I'm very, uh, you know, aggressive, whatever. And so but I but I don't know, had I been fifteen years old and would somebody have said, Are you non binary? I might have been like, wait a minute, yeah because 'cause I'm not a typical female. Yeah, maybe I am. Yeah. I'm like a masculine, so maybe I'm non binary.
1: So Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, go. Or maybe you would think that that means that you should really be a boy because that's another thing that's happening. You see these girls who are slightly masculine who think, well, I'm not stereotypically feminine. I'm not a girly girl. I don't seem to like the same things that girls my age like. So maybe that actually means that I'm supposed to be a boy. And I'm saying, no, I mean, maybe that could be, but it could also be that you're just a girl who likes things that boys like, and that's fine too.
0: Right, so what does the research say on this type of stuff like how how many go like i know they're definitely we've all seen those kids that know i am a boy i'm a boy and i'm in the wrong body i'm in a girl's body and then they grow up and they're like oh what a relief i'm so glad i transitioned early and then how many people grow up and are like oh i'm glad i didn't transition because i'm like gay i'm gay or whatever
1: So this area of research is called the desistance literature, and it's seen as hugely controversial, and I don't think it should be, or it's seen as a Some people say it's a myth, it's not. So all of the research that we have on kids with gender dysphoria, so these are kids who, like you said, they feel like they're more like the opposite sex than their birth sex. They will often say that they're born in the wrong body. Um, Of all the studies we have following those kids long term, once they hit puberty, they're more likely to grow up to be gay. They're they're going to desist, so they're not going to feel uncomfortable in their bodies or their birth sex, and they'll be like you said, happy gay adults. So it doesn't make sense for them to transition prior to puberty, even a social transition. I can explain why. Um, So if you don't let if you transition those children before puberty, they're not going to go through that process of their feelings of gender dysphoria desisting. Mm. And so I understand why people see this as controversial because it could be used as an argument to say no one should be allowed to transition. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, I do think transitioning can help adults. But I think what happens in this conversation is people who have transitioned, when they look back on their childhood, they see that through the lens of having transitioned and it working for them. So I think in some ways they may be projecting their experiences on these kids and saying, well, because transition worked for me, that's the case for all kids who feel mm. this way or who voices. And in some kids, especially in today's climate, I feel like parents especially, not necessarily your audience, but I think just parents in general are probably a little bit more sensitive to picking up on these cues because this is such a hot topic and it's everywhere. So if you have a child that says anything related to their gender, parents are quick to, to take that and question maybe this means something and, and that they should listen to the child. Well, in many cases, children, I mean, I'm not a clinician. I don't do work, clinical work anymore, and I don't work with these kids. But if I talk to my colleagues who are clinicians, or you look at the research, I mean, kids say all kinds of things. Developmentally, they, they don't know what they're talking about in a lot of cases. And <laughs> you, as a parent, you don't take what they say at face value. But when it comes to gender, because this is such a politicized issue, and because mm-hmm. parents are also being told that their child will commit suicide if they don't transition, which is also not true, so it's becomes a, it's a it's a topic that no one really wants to touch unless they are on board with the the mandated narrative and so as a result this is where we are how did gender become such a politicized
0: issue and well i mean your book presents scientific data scientific research it's not like you're some wackadoo out in the middle of nowhere going i don't think this stuff is real you're like no 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 this is the research this is the scientific data how did we get to such a hysterical point in society where we can't even discuss the possibility of these ideas without being you know the under threat of being canceled like i i'm I'm a 90s liberal in, in a way, like, hey, let's discuss all the ideas. I don't know. Is there something there? Is, you know, let's go with it. So how did how did we get here with
1: gender? And that's how it should be. Like, I still consider myself to be liberal and even progressive in some ways. But I just have a real issue with science denial. And, and on the topic of gender, it just so happens that most of the science denial is coming from the left. So I think part of it, as someone who was a, is formula, formerly an academic sex researcher in the field of sex research, there has it's historically been a fight against conservatives not to say that all conservatives have an issue with sex research but that's predominantly where the political interference has been coming from so when it comes from the left or your own side i think sex researchers feel that it's not as serious Mm. or that they'll deal with it later and so that's what happened it's just grown and then also when it comes to issues around transgender the transgender community or anything about transitioning, because there's been a very ugly history Mm -hmm. of tension between trans activists and researchers, in the book I write about a couple of different examples. So sex researchers who are busy enough as is just trying to do good science and stay on top of teaching and the university and everything else that they have to do, they don't want to deal with being mobbed on social media or having activists go after them and their families, so they just don't say anything about it. So that's why the discourse has become so slanted now where anyone you do see talking about this in in the mainstream any so-called experts are going to be on board because they either don't want to upset the activists or they know that saying the right thing is going to help them move their career forward.
0: Right. Wow, man! It's just just wild and I, I think you really hit the nail on the head in saying that because it comes from your side. You're right that traditionally, historically, you know, it used to be that we're battling against conservatives. It's the right. It's the Bible, you know, thumpers that don't want science and don't believe. And now when it's on your team, you're like, oh, well, maybe there's some, is there validity to this? Um, am I am I an, an a-hole? And I think, <laughs> like, because I really don't want to be on the wrong side of history on this gender stuff. And I, you know, I make fun of, um, <laughs> I listen, man, these guys know, like... I my mind I have a joke on my first on my first Netflix special about non binary because I the first time I heard it I was like wait what? Like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Like there's <laughs> there's no astral gendered and I'm fucking dog gendered. And then you're like, okay, well you know what? Pluto is not a planet anymore. Maybe this is one of those things. Like I grew up thinking Pluto was a planet. That ain't fucking real. So maybe you know I'm maybe I'm I'm insensitive but uh, I don't think I am I think it's it feels it doesn't it doesn't ring true when when no. you see, there's something going on when you see a kid on TikTok being like I identify as an astral gender non-binary the, 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 the litany and you're like, how do you know that? Are you sure? <laughs> are because I, I identified as goth and punk and I get that need to belong to something.
1: Is that what's happening with the kids? Well, see, I think it's good, and I think most people should be open-minded and open to questioning their own previous beliefs and changing your mind, especially if there's new, like as a scientist, in my case, changing my mind based on new information. But when it's information that when you dig beneath the surface and you see it's not what it's presenting itself as, then I think you have a right to call into question. So say with non-binary, I'm very critical of that movement just because I think it's about a whole bunch of things that people aren't actually talking about. And to get called transphobic for questioning the non-binary movement, as I have, I think is totally ridiculous because there's nothing hateful about it. For I think for, in terms of the research I've done and looking at people who identify this way, and I talk about, it, I have a whole, book in the, a whole chapter in the book devoted to this. In a lot of cases, it's people who are born female who don't like the idea of being women, either because they've experienced sexism or they don't like that they are sexualized. In some cases, they have sexual trauma. They don't like that they've gone through puberty and now they've developed breasts and a more womanly body. They don't like the attention they're getting, things like that. Um, Or in many cases, it's young people who are gay and they're not fully comfortable with the fact that they're gay. So if they identify as non-binary, suddenly this is exotic, people think you're interesting. The minute you say that you're non-binary in some social circles people immediately Hmm. think oh wow you know who's this person there's some there's something interesting about them
0: yes it's social currency dr drew uh, talked to me about that in that form of um it makes you unique it makes you stand out it makes you i get it like i so i so understand that as an adolescent i was, i so wanted that so this is so great you've got this great chapter in your book where you go there are two sexes. There, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> and you, go, you go, non-binary. Non-binary doesn't exist. There, I, I said it. And it was like, <laughs> and it's so funny because to me, you're saying, you're saying the absolute truth. Like, hey, the stop sign is red. And I can't believe that you're having to be like, no, no, dude, the stop sign is red and you're going to attack me for it. So explain to my listeners what the science says about the genders. Why? Why are there? Why does non-binary
1: not exist? I have to say, love, Dr. Drew. So super grateful for his support. He's been so kind to me. Um, so, in terms of why there are two, so as you mentioned, there are two biological sexes, and biological sex is seen as hateful nowadays, and I don't think it should be. I think yeah. we can talk about biology and sex and reality and still be sensitive towards trans people. So, there are two sexes, as you mentioned, and because gender is influenced by biology. So sex is, as you mentioned, gametes, so eggs and sperm. Gender is how we feel in relation to our biological sex. So for 99% of us, our biological sex is our gender. For that 1%, intersex people and trans people may identify as the opposite sex. And then just to define gender expression, this is just how you express your gender through usually mannerisms or um, your haircut and clothing, things like that. So the reason why there are two genders is because if gender is informed by biology and there are only two sexes, there are no intermediate gametes, so there's nothing in between eggs and sperm. So following from that, there's no intermediate genders. And I, I think at the, the best... I mean the most charitable interpretation I can take is that there are people who feel like their gender changes over time, sure. But I think we all have that to some extent. I don't think anyone is a hundred percent gender typical or a hundred percent gender atypical. And I think it's actually pretty regressive to say that anyone who's slightly different from their birth sex, so if you're a girl who is slightly gender atypical, that means you're not actually female. That means you're something else in between. Why can't you just be female
0: right and you bring this up in your book too that it's um you, you say that like i used to be a feminist and <laughs> as was i i mean i you you would have met me in college girl we, you know we would have gotten high and, and read simone de Beauvoir to e- to each <laughs> other and high-fived each other how feminist and great we are yeah um but if that's what feminism means now you're right it's anti feminist because what you're saying is like no, no no that's not a trait a female can have to be athletic masculine blah blah, blah whatever uh, or whatever
1: alpha <laughs> that that or belongs good at math right so, so, like their girls are now think that because they're good at math they're not really girls <laughs> i'm thinking what because <laughs> right so now you're
0: non you're you're so what? Right. so what would your your binary be like you're you're all I, i'm math well i don't know gendered i'm fucking it's, it's silly yeah instead of just saying no no i'm a, i'm a, i am a woman i express i'm whatever okay So, but it is, it's not as feminine, it's actually anti-feminist to to give these attributes to men or to something other than being female. And, okay, chest feeding. What do you fucking think about chest feeding?
1: (laughs) I I talked about... It's upsetting. Yeah. When they call, they refer to us as bleeders, people who bleed, uterus havers. God, I feel like
0: you're in my fucking... This is all the stuff I curate (laughs) privately and then I... I put on this show and I'm like, oh, people, not, no, no, it was the tampon thing. Not all people who bleed are women. That was my favorite one. Is that scientifically (laughs) accurate, Dr. So?
1: (laughs) How is that even fucking possible? But okay. I, I think it's okay to want to be sensitive with language. I think that's a good thing. Yes. But why is it that you only see this with female, female gendered? physiology right you don't see this about mm. male physiology no one has an issue with male prostates and male sperm Ooh, what do you
0: mean let's talk about that
1: <laughs> what do you mean so if you're saying something like uh, women give birth or mothers mother is another word that you're not supposed to use right oh is that um, I didn't hear
0: that wait a minute what, that got cancelled what is it now
1: person who parent I think or prime, maybe primary or secondary parent, depending. Yeah. May, yeah. Which I get because trans women yep. don't give birth. And there are some people who would give birth who don't identify as female. Okay. But why is it forbidden for the rest of the world to use those terms if they want to? I don't think that's necessary. And I don't think most trans women really have an issue with that. I think it's, again, the activists, this very small proportion of people who are very, very vocal
0: this is what I think you're dialing into because I look chest feeding fine. Is it, is, is chest feeding scientifically accurate? Let's, mm-hmm. let's start the discussion there. Is that like logically? Cause I, listen, I'm a logic brained, So I go, is mm-hmm. chest feeding chest? Wait a minute. By, uh, by definition you must have breast to produce the milk. So is chest feeding, how is that even logically possible?
1: Well, I like, think it's what, just an avoidance of using the word breast because for someone who, it does not identify as female. They don't want the emphasis to be on that part of their body. So chest is more of like a gender neutral thing, but you would need to, because if you remove your breasts, you may not be able to produce milk and feed a child. So, okay. So, so then, so I understand there should be a
0: term to, to be sensitive to those with those concerns. But I think what you just said there was interesting of like, but do we then change the term to blanket all people who breastfeed, you know what I mean? Like now do I have to call it and my friends, are they chest feeding? Like, (laughs) well, that doesn't apply if 1% of the population is such a way, you you know?
1: Yeah. And this is, I do see a backlash coming, unfortunately. And I think that backlash may, and hopefully it won't affect everyday trans people because at some point the average, like the population is going to say we've had enough of this. We what is, what is this, right? The activists are asking for too much and now they're, they're going to start to say, well, we're not okay with this. And I am concerned about that because I don't think everyday trans people should pay the price for what these really aggressive, vocal minority people are saying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I agree because I, I have sympathy for anybody who is like, oh God, I can't even imagine what that is like, you know? Um, but getting back to children... Because this is a parenting podcast. So, mm-hmm. like, <sighs> people are transitioning their children. Is, that, is this what's happening now? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the the laws are even in favor of this now. So, for in terms of clinicians, they can't do anything. They have to affirm a child with gender dysphoria because there are conversion therapy bans in 20 states in the U.S., in Canada, we are about to criminalize any therapeutic interventions that are not early or affirmative.
0: Wait, we're, so what do you mean?
1: What What does that mean? So I, I should also clarify with conversion therapy. So I am not in favor of conversion therapy for sexual orientation because that does not work. So attempts to change sexual orientation, so to make someone who's gay or bisexual to turn them straight, yeah. that doesn't work. It's not ethical. But what the activists have done is they've conflated attempts to change sexual orientation with therapy that tries to understand a child's gender. And they also call that conversion therapy, even though gender identity is not the same thing as sexual orientation, because children, their gender identity can change over time because they're young, they're still developing. And as I mentioned with the research showing that most kids with gender dysphoria are going to grow to be comfortable in their Mm -hmm. bodies. So activists have have lumped in gender identity into these conversion therapy laws so now clinicians cannot do a proper assessment so if a child comes in to them and this child says that they have they have gender dysphoria if they want to transition they have to essentially take it at face value they can't question it
0: which which okay so which leads to a concerning thing like how do what's the criterion upon which we allow the right cases to convert, right? Like they're like, what is there? Is there a criterion besides face value
1: at this point? Well, in an ideal situation before this became so politicized, a good clinician would monitor that child over time mm-hmm. and see how do they feel as they get closer to puberty you know, how are they feeling in terms of their, their peers. And are they, int- once they start dating and things like that, developing crushes, because a lot of these kids once from the research perspective, once they start to, develop crushes and date, they grow more comfortable in their bodies, and they actually like the bodies that they have. Um, but now you you can't you can't even suggest that, you can't even say that gender, I mean in the book I go through nine different myths and there's another myth that sex, sexual orientation has nothing to do with gender identity, so you can't even talk about romantic interest or anything like that because if these kids are, are going to be healthy gay adults I think a more useful conversation is to say it's okay if you're attracted to people who share the same sex as you, that's perfectly fine, right? Instead of, because kids then interpret that as a sign that they're supposed to be the opposite sex. So if you have a little boy who's attracted to other boys, he thinks, well, oh, maybe I'm actually supposed to be a girl because I like boys. And so now in
0: Canada, if a kid goes to the doctor and says, I I am attracted to other boys and I think I'm a, a girl, the doctor is allowed or now it just goes like here's the medicine we're gonna here's estrogen we're transitioning you.
1: It depends on the age. Um, so yeah, they, a clinician can face once this bill gets passed, which I, I don't see it not being passed because even conservative politicians are backing it. Um, a clinician can face up to five years in prison if they if they don't go along with it. So um, hmm. yeah, it's it's pretty scary.
0: And I think too as a there is this great viral meme being passed around Instagram today of this teacher who was like and we can't even teach our kids basic grammar and now they're being taught they them as pronouns mm-hmm. like like it's not even <laughs> grammatically correct I can't even teach this and he and I think too the concern is is like is there is this too young to be teaching this stuff to small children like to at least in california now we're we're teaching this gender identity stuff pretty early from what i'm hearing like in the kindergartens is is that a is that a great idea
1: no actually before (laughs) before i I forget i want to go back to your point about um kids because what people will say is these kids are just transitioning socially for now, even if they don't have medical interventions. Like some of them will just live as the opposite sex. They'll take on new pronouns um, and a new name, but that is actually associated with going on to medical interventions. It's not like these kids change their mind at any point, because if you think of kids, if they're getting so much praise and attention for identifying as this new exotic thing, why are they going to turn away from that? And especially for for some of these kids as they get older, if their support is predominantly around their identity, in many cases, they'll lose all of that support if they decide to go back to living as the their original sex. So I think people really underestimate how difficult it is for kids once they start to go down this path. It's not like they change their mind at any time and it's a, it's a really easy thing for them. Um, because people will often say, "Oh, it's not like these kids are taking hormones, or it's not like they're getting surgery at this age, but people don't realize that it's, one thing is related to another. But then in terms of the education, I think it's completely inappropriate. A lot of the education I see in terms of gender, um, what's being pushed on these kids is not factually accurate. They have all kinds of nonsensical ideas, like like you mentioned with gender fluidity, or gender being a social construct, or wow. seeing gender to traditional gender norms, um, or that there are, are hundreds or even billions of genders,
0: yeah it's so it's so um but here's the thing like you know you you I read Simone de Beauvoir I was a good feminist in college and she believed that uh, gender is a social construct there is some of that (sighs) I'm so confused
1: so you know (laughs) like how much you know there are cultural influences because people who get mad at, at those of us who say gender is not a social construct, they'll say, well, it's not like, it's not like, um, they'll say that we only care about biology and that's not true. I would say that culture plays an influence in terms of determining what is masculine or feminine, Aha. So, but whether you gravitate towards what's masculine or feminine, regardless of whether you're male or female is determined by, uh, hormonal exposure in utero right i've heard of this (laughs) right
0: whether (laughs) whether you have testosterone washing over you as as an embryo or whatever is a developing fetus right like like you and i were i consider us to be masculine females right what did you call us male typical so do we just have more testosterone washing over
1: us in utero Probably. I mean, there are studies to show that girls who are more male typical were exposed to higher levels of testosterone in the womb. And this Mm. is even in the case of their parents giving them more praise. So when kids come out when they're born, then they gravitate toward particular toys, even if the parents give them more praise. So these girls who are exposed to higher levels of testosterone will prefer boys toys like trucks, even if their parents try to encourage them to play with dolls. So it's it's really interesting to hear stories of parents who are super on board this um, gender and being a social construct train because if their girls play with dolls, they're absolutely horrified. They try to basically eradicate <laughs> yeah. anything that's feminine yeah. from the house, and yeah. then the daughters go to school and yeah. then they come home and say they want a doll, and they think, oh my god, what am I supposed to do now? And it just I say just let your kid play with a doll. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I thought I I bought into this stuff a little bit before I had kids. Let me tell you. You cannot affect that shit. Like my little boys are savage boys. It is <laughs> trucks and dirt and throwing stuff like no amount and I did with with my older boy. I was like, "Here's a doll." And he was like, "That's cool." Just threw it down. Like there's you, you can't, dude. There you, you can try, but you can't. So <sighs> Here's one thing I I was trying to understand in your book. How does does biology affect your gender expression? How does the biological stuff affect your gender expression?
1: So if you are, um, let me, what's the best example? Say if you are female and you are um, exposed to higher levels of testosterone, gravitate toward more male typical, things things that boys are interested in the way you express yourself you're probably going to be more masculine as well so say in terms of the clothing you wear how you wear your hair maybe you'll shave your head or cut it short um, you know be punk yeah. wear yeah doc martens did that yeah. Yeah. badass yeah. like that yeah. so <laughs> so or conversely only- if it's a if it's a boy say exposed to lower levels of testosterone he might be more feminine more feminine so it is it's a hormonal thing how
0: we gender express ourselves but that that is the tabooness of
1: right that's the crux of all of this why it's so taboo right now to say that it's science well they don't want to say it's biology at all they want to say that everything is totally socially constructed or that everything is completely due to um cultural influence or parents or the media Right. And the reward of doing that.
0: Right. And I understand the intent, because if you remove biology from, let's say, how a woman is or how a man is, I think the theory was to free us from those boundaries and limitations. Right. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I can I can do anything like, yeah, but but you're still you are still tethered to your biology and it's not always a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think we have to deny biology to promote people being able to be free to do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, I I don't know why we ever have to. I think it just becomes an easier argument to make if people just deny the reality of that. Because there are people who will latch on to these studies and say, because biology dictates whatever this is a justification to say Mm. that women are inferior or women are not as capable at doing whatever it is that men do, which I obviously don't agree with. But I think it comes down to, in a lot of cases, people just, they don't know anything about the research. And I don't know, don't blame people. I mean, I probably wouldn't either if if this was not my job, but I I don't think it's fair or right that what you see happening now in the discourse is that people who have actually no idea about any of these studies are being given a platform or in some cases being allowed to speak over legitimate scientists because you'll see like in terms of the news coverage, they'll say that pre- prenatal testosterone is a myth. And I'm thinking how can you, den- these are thousands of studies showing that the, this, there are effects there. You can't just say it doesn't exist. It's not magical thinking, but that's what we see happening now. And that
0: is because so so this, these studies that do promote this way of thinking are what's going on there? These are scientists who are drinking the, the Kool-Aid or they're afraid to be shunned. What, what is going
1: on? I think both. I think for some of them, they think this is going to bring about positive social change. I think it's a little bit of a joke if they think that denying science is, is in any way good for society. I think it's actually pretty patronizing to say that they they feel that they have to contort facts to bring about what's good for society. Why not let people in society figure that out for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's their place to hide information from people and lie about what the truth is to bring about whatever the ut- utopia that they have in mind is. Mm-hmm. But I think also a lot of scientists are afraid, and especially for men and white men they they really can't say anything about any of this nowadays like my colleagues who are world experts can they you can sense there's there's reluctance on their part to criticize any of this because they get dismissed as being sexist and racist which has nothing to do with it i
0: know god forbid i know oh my god (laughs) It's, um, even, I remember, was it, was it? No, there was some guy who produced, Uh, you probably know who this is, the scientific study about how women gravitate towards social fields as opposed to scientific fields. Did you hear this? I think Jordan Peterson picked it up and then it got, the guy got fired and
1: he, he was just kind of socially... Was this in your book, even? Oh, I might. Yeah, James Damore. Yeah, because I defended him. <laughs> I wrote a column that defended him. It was for the Globe and Mail. This was in 2017, and people went berserk over that because he, he's he was an engineer at the time um, for Google, and they they had asked for employee feedback. This is all in Chapter Two of my book, so yeah. I, don't, I won't go too much into it. But basically, I defended him, and I said that this memo he wrote was scientifically accurate. That on average women and men gravitate toward different occupations. And the average woman does not find something like coding as interesting <laughs> as a people-focused occupation. But people didn't, didn't like that. But um, that's not to say that there aren't women who
0: do code. There are exactly. women who do these things. It's just that as a majority, the statistical data shows, right, that women tend to gravitate towards the social industries, social mm-hmm. works talking to people versus sitting in a dark room.
1: I think you said that by yourself, (laughs) staring at a screen, crying. (laughs) Cause didn't you code for a while too? Didn't you do it for a while? You said, yeah, for my PhD, I coded. And I, anyone who wants to pretend that coding is fun and glamorous has never coded. I can tell you that much. The way they were talking about it at the time was that, that this is the best job. in the I mean, some people are very good at it. They're very good at it. It's an important job. But I would say most women on average prefer to be around people. When you're coding, you don't get to talk to people. You're just literally typing at your computer.
0: Unless you're in that Facebook movie at Zuckerberg's house. I don't know if you remember that summer he rents out a house and they're all like getting hammered and he's plugged in right now. And then that guy's coding and then they do cannonballs in the pool. So it wasn't like that for you?
1: (laughs) No, I was missing out apparently. Yeah. (laughs) But the other thing with that memo is the way it was presented again in the news is that that James had said that women are less competent. He never said that. I've never said that. I don't believe that. But it's the way they skew it because I think if you have a point, why do you need to lie about what the facts are? That's what I find very questionable.
0: Yeah, it was a factual study. I remember when it came out and there was such controversy over that study and again huge feminist and i was like yeah but he's not saying that women can't do x or y or z he's just saying that they tend not to gravitate towards those fields it's not like women women are fucking stupid it's not that he was just like they're not whatever they're not doing it man man so this stuff it's if i feel wild it feels wild that i'm even having to have this conversation uh with you like (laughs) over what seems to me just like those are it's evidence facts so let's talk about um the trend (laughs) um there is a man in the united states i forget which state that he had his gender changed to x on his driver's license (sighs) i'm all for subjective expression and then then you start to go well what's that gonna lead to down the road like where we declare our genders like there has to be some logical implication down the road that this is, this is not going to be good for
1: society. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, because I think, um, in certain States you can, you can get an X designation without even needing a note from your doctor. So wow, I, I think it's in a lot of these cases, the individual context, doesn't seem like such an issue. Like, okay, so you can go and get a piece of paper with an X on it. All right, sure. But what does this mean in terms of self-identification more broadly? So that means that anyone can identify as anything and that that's going to be legally recognized, which is essentially where we are already. And we're continuing to go in that direction in that you will see individuals who are born male. So say, um, I, I guess One extreme version of that is prison, where prison now, depending on where you are, is based on self-identification. So if there's a convicted sex offender who identifies, someone who was convicted as a sex offender was male at the time of their offenses, identifies as female, is going to be put into a female prison. (sighs) So people might say, "Okay, going from a piece of paper to that is that not a far leap?" But it's—I don't think it it's, is. I don't because people can see that the sex offenders will see that they can exploit this. People who are antisocial—I mean, I used to work clinically with sex offenders. Anyone who wants to try and manipulate the system to for their means is going to do that, and people are afraid to push back against that.
0: That's what's troubling: is people are afraid to push back on that, and also when you see in athletics um i mean joe has talked about it and then he talked about it with you like is it is it even a, a great idea to have um someone who was once a man transitioned to become a woman now fighting another woman like that's fucking dangerous bro like that's mm-hmm. not is that even is that a good idea <laughs>
1: is that safe <laughs> like wait you know that's that's fucking dangerous because people can die I mean I think if there's some way this I mean I have to say too I love I love Joe Rogan I mean he's been so supportive and he's dealt with a lot after having me on his show twice now so I'm grateful to him for just not backing down but this issue in particular I mean the public is being told that there I just saw recently actually there there was a, a news story saying the reason that people say there are biologically based differences between men and women in sport, and that's why it's unfair for trans women to compete in women's sports, is due to patriarchy and the sexist belief that men are stronger than women.
0: Hold on. I'm trying to wrap my head around the argument. Okay, walk me through it
1: again. Okay, Okay. so people like me, I guess, who criticize this idea that trans women should be competing in women's sports, we are operating apparently, from this misguided belief, Patriot. this sexist belief, right. that men are stronger than women. Wait, is it is it misguided? Wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, it takes a second, right? Like, yeah. What, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I think if I get it, sport is about community, it's about belonging and just having fun in some cases, but if it's at the competitive or elite level, it's not appropriate. Because again, what you see in some cases is people are, are allowed based on self-identification. In some cases, they have guidelines. Like I believe with fighting, they require them to... So for someone born male who um, wants to compete in the female category, she will have had to have had her testes removed and be on cross-sex hormones for two years. I think that's the, gu- the, the guidelines. But it's still questionable, does that override physical differences or a physical advantage
0: right the the musculature as george takei says musculature of a male uh, physique right i mean the muscles alone um i'm pretty sure if i took my husband's testicles off (laughs) like um and you know even gave him estrogen like he could still fucking kill me he could still kill me like he's just bigger than me and taller and you know
1: He's a fucking gorilla. Like, he could kill me. Well, I mean, you just watch these competitions and you see, I mean, it's very difficult to turn away and pretend you're not seeing what you're seeing when they're competing against these girls. It's not fair. No.
0: But again, it's considered, you know, whatever anti-trans rights, I I guess, is what I would be if I was like, hey, I don't know if this is a good idea. Is this safe?
1: (laughs) But most... most trans women are not on board with this. They're saying, please do not say that we want trans women to be competing against in the women's divisions of sports. Like they're not at, they're not even asking for that. So you're, this is the
0: best part. So the trans you're telling me, let's reiterate, the trans community is not being like, we need this to happen. Karen's of the world. We want the (laughs) Karen's to unite and, and get this done. So no one's at, no one's asking for this shit in
1: that community. I don't, I don't want to speak for them, of course, right. and I don't want to say that this is everybody in the community, but the sense I get from the number of trans women who reach out to me telling me this is that, or, or they at least think it's unfair and that there should be something in place to make it more fair. But my sense is oh, most are not asking for this. They just want to have the right to transition and be left alone and be respected, and I am totally on board with that, totally on board with love, support, compassion. Of course.
0: Of course. What is it somebody brought up? This just reminds me of um, what we were talking about earlier. Oh, well, it reminds me of Caitlyn Jenner. Like when she transitioned, it was like, hallelujah. Like you're a lady now and everyone should be, how do I put this? Like, I don't, why do I feel like, oh, that's all it takes to be a lady? Like you, you're part of this club now, and it, and she became like Woman of the Year and stuff, it didn't, It it's like, fuck you. Like, you're not really, maybe I'll cut this part out of my podcast. <laughs> what I'm trying to say here.
1: Well, I know what you mean because there are, I think some women find it very offensive that, not necessarily Caitlin, but that any person that was born male and now identifies as female who transitions, that this is Um, what it means to be a woman. And in some cases, because these individuals embody a very stereotypical idea of what it means to be a woman with like long hair, lots of makeup, fake nails. And I say, if if you want to right, Dr. Deborah. So
0: that's what I'm trying to put my finger on. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's like, no, you meet the patriarchal, like she's a hot chick now and we Mm. like hot chicks. So she's, you know, it's (laughs) like, Well, is that what that means to be a trans
1: woman, too? Like, ah, but go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. I got so excited. Well, no, I was going to say, I think if women do want to, then power to you. But I understand why some people find that offensive because they say, well, that's not being a woman also comes with all this other stuff that someone born male did not have to experience. But the other part of this is that there are. So I have a chapter in the book that talks about autogonophilia. So that is a paraphilia. (laughs) You know where this is going. So (laughs) it's a paraphilia, which is an unusual sexual interest. And this was my research expertise, actually, one of my areas of expertise. And so for autogynephilia translates from Greek to love of oneself as a woman. And so for some individuals who are born male who transition to female, they're motivated by the fact that having a female body is sexually rousing to them mm. so this is another area of research that you're not supposed to talk about people say it's pseudoscience or that it's been debunked that's not true it's legitimate research anyone who works with patients with gender dysphoria knows this is legitimate but you can't say it because there are some people who really dislike it because it has sexual arousal as a motivator for transitioning and and I think many activists would prefer to downplay anything that has to do with sex to try and um, make it more socially palatable or make the activism more socially palatable. But I I always want to emphasize, I do think someone with autogonophilia similarly deserves no judgment, love, you know, support. doesn't mean that they shouldn't transition. I do think some people, my, my colleagues who are clinicians will say some people with autogynophilia can benefit from transitioning, so I don't think that's a reason to rule them out. And I also don't think it should be used to justify negative stereotypes about trans people or trans women. But I do think it's actually quite harmful to pretend that this doesn't exist, because since the end of gender has come out, I've had so many people reach out to me saying that this is them, or it's helped them understand themselves or someone in their life who has autogonophilia. and they're really grateful mm-hmm. for that because they could not have found this information anywhere else. And that, that's what's important to me is give people the information and give them options to decide because right now people are being told if you in any way feel say if you're born male and you feel in any way feminine that means you should transition and that's the only thing that's going to make you happy.
0: Yeah that's I think that's what's concerning to other parents that i speak with about this of course behind closed doors very hush hush you know like it's the secret society of moms Where are like i'm not so mm-hmm. sure i'm down with this stuff um <laughs> you know it's like a, it is uh, it's dangerous i think to encourage like if one of my boys came to me and was like mom i think i'm a girl i'd be like cool well let's uh yeah let's maybe tippy toe into this like here's a here's a dress Let's try that on for a few years. Mm -hmm. But like in terms of hormonal therapy and going down that road, I, I, as a parent, I'd have to be like, okay, let's wait until 18. Can we wait? And if you're still, you know, really into this, then, then yeah, do transition. But is that, what's the problem with, with waiting until 18?
1: Well, I guess because it is time-sensitive. So if a child oh, undergoes right. puberty, and then they realize that transitioning would have been better for them, then it's going to be more difficult for them to yes. live as the opposite sex. But I would also, just in the same vein with autogynophilia, what you're seeing now is that adolescent boys, so when this, when peop, children, I don't want to say children, when adolescents start to become sexually interested, or when, once they've gone through puberty, and that awakens in them. So for people with autogynephilia, that's usually when it starts to happen. So now mm. they're immediately being told that they are actually trans women. When in some cases this is just uh, essentially thing. it's a kink. It's a sexual kink.
0: Do you think some of this stuff, this hysteria, um, is is kind of it is is it related to just an American puritanical view of sex in general? Is is we're so afraid
1: of our genitals. It, I mean <laughs> it could be, but I cuz I think the, the sense I guess the activists are predominantly extreme left, but maybe because they're they know that if they downplay the sexual aspect they're going to have an easier time winning people over. That's probably where it's coming from. Okay. Makes sense.
0: I have a question for you. You mm-hmm. just to explain to people listening and they're like, "But Dr. So, okay, you're telling me that there's only two genders, but what about those outliers? What about these, there's like communities of people, right? You mentioned, I think, in India called the, I don't even remember what they're called. Like
1: these. Yeah, yeah, the Hijra.
0: Right. Like, what about these people, these outliers? So let's discuss that. What about people that might have ambiguous genitalia? Is that what you would call it? Right, yes. Or mixed.
1: Intersex. Intersex, yes. So. I have, I think this chapter three when I talk about those um, examples. What I love is a lot of people will say that my book does not cover certain things or does not certain cover certain criticisms when it does, so that I have a chapter devoted to that because people always, they will tokenize the intersex community and say, these people show that sex is a spectrum because in, intersex, this is a condition where someone is born with both male and female anatomy, um, reproductive anatomy. So... Most intersex people, however, prefer to live as either male or female. They don't want Mm -hmm. sex to be collapsed into a spectrum and they, they don't want to be considered as somewhere along in between male and female. So I think we can advocate again for equal rights for intersex people and especially to give children bodily autonomy, because what you would see historically is doctors would impose their ideas of what a child should look like on the child and then do these surgeries that Mm. a child cannot consent to. So I think we can say, well, don't do that. But at the same time, sex is binary. Um, And also intersex people are as many as 1% of the population. That's still a very small percentage of the population. And then it becomes a question of should we reconceptualize anything in life based on a very small population. I mean, it doesn't even have to be about intersex people. It could be anything like an, an example I give in the book is some people have fewer than 10 fingers. Are we going to reconceptualize how many fingers people typically have? It right. doesn't make sense. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that it's just a, it's a wider ideology I see of, of people who just want to reconceptualize everything in our society for the mm. sake of doing that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cause when you, when you say that, in your book, you, you do bring up the, the intersex when a doctor would say, okay, this child is born with both genitalia. I'm going to choose for that person. I'm going to construct a vagina. I'm going to construct a penis. And then that poor person grows up and they're like, dude, I don't want to be a man. I don't want this penis. Like that is horrible. And like, that's so sad that that happens. Mm -hmm. But I think, didn't you say statistically, factually that doctors like 99 percent of the time correctly identify people's yeah. sex
1: because now they've changed the nomenclature to say instead of saying biological sex or birth sex they say sex assigned at birth which is not accurate because sex is not assigned at birth sex is what it is but they've worded this to make it sound as though the doctor arbitrarily deciding at at birth what sex a baby is but again like you said 99% of the time the doctor is going to be right because intersex is such a small percentage of the wow. population but parents are i think some parents think that it's much more common and so this that's why this language makes sense but it's again it's purely ideological because they they want to come at it from this perspective of nothing is real nothing can yes. really be determined
0: yeah. Yes, it's anti-scientific and anti-logic and reason. And and it, mm-hmm. I guess it comes, does it come from, I'm trying to piece all this stuff together. Is this from this idea of the, inclu, the inclusivity stuff? Like everybody's inclusive, we're all inclusive. And I think you and I are like, absolutely, dude, like join the party. Yes, let's do that. Um, and I think the rejection of white male European concepts of of like you know x and y and determining stuff and the majority if it's something doesn't function in a majority fashion like in that that philosophy i forget fucking my brain is fried because i've been living with my kids in a hotel room for a few days but um pragmatism right american like if something makes sense if, if it serves the majority of the population let's do that but that whole way of thinking has been identified as white, male, patriarchal, bad, bad, logic, reason, science. Thinking is male. It's patriarchal. It's bad. It's colonial. Colonialism yeah. at its finest. Fuck that. Now we're going to go here. We're going to create this new frontier where everybody's included. Everybody. But to the expense of the majority. Is, that, is, this, is this what's happening, big picture? So, so that's why you'll see, like, as identified at birth. Well you're like no dude if 99 out of 100 times it's done traditionally correctly why are we catering to the
1: minority Yeah that's that's what i see it as it's part of the same push in that and i think when the day comes if the day comes where everything is exactly as they currently want it to be they're going to push even further from there it's it there's never going to be a point where there's an equilibrium but as you said it's it's also mm. just the 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 anti science anti reason aspect they treat science as though it's completely arbitrary and that subjective experience is more important or your own so-called personal truth is more important it's really worrisome because I didn't ever think that I would see this happening. It's taken over academia. I have a chapter in the book dedicated to this about cancel culture and academia. It's taken over the hard sciences. And so the point to the point now where when studies come out, I mean, the most common question I've been asked the last couple shows I've done is how do we even know when science is real now? Because you know that it's been compromised and that there is ideology in it there. Mm. And uh, it's, it's really difficult, I think for, for people to trust that anything that's being produced and that claims to be empirical or based in evidence is actually that way. But then your point about third gender societies or cultures, those individuals, if they were being viewed in a Western context, they would be gay people.
0: Mm. So hold mm. on, they would just be gay people or would they be trans gay? Sorry. What category
1: are we non-binary? Or are we? Um, So if they, if you have, say, an example would be uh, the Fafafine in Samoa. So these are people who are born male, but they're more stereotypically feminine and they're considered a third gender. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But they, if they were in, say, North America, they'd be considered gay men. And in Fafafine, or in Samoa, they're considered a third gender. They're not trans women. They will say, we are not women. We are in between. So you'll see sometimes people will point to them and say these are trans people or these are this is sign that gender is a spectrum. But again, it's it's just that that these activists want to jump on anything they can to justify whatever social change they want to push.
0: Yes, it's a it's a whole agenda, man. And then so what is the fafafine scientifically?
1: What what do we what is that? Then what
0: do we call? That? Uh,
1: they are born male but probably less masculinized than the womb which is why they're more feminine. So they're just like feminine gay men and yeah, F- feminine men. Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's a uh, and like I again, I went to school in San Francisco for undergrad. And like, I, I grew, I was just lucky to be in SF during like the gay heyday, man. Like mm-hmm. it was, there was trans dudes. There was a dude wearing pedal pushers at my school. And like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It was like, it was just, it was so cool and it was so free. And so, and now I feel like this constant labeling and putting people into category, like I'm a this and I'm a that, I'm a that, 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 the, da the da that, It tends to, I, I feel more divided than ever. This constant labeling it's, and labeling and and and
1: and it's so authoritarian too. Which ah. I, you know, prior to that, it's very, I'm very much ah. a le, live and let live type of person, and I think do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. But it, now it's to now it's to the point where it's like you have to do this, and we're not. It's not just about mutual respect. It's about okay, now we're going to go and put this into law, so you have to do it, and if you don't, we're going to try and ruin you and call you all these names and smear you, and it's it's completely. I mean. <sighs> It's unnecessary. And what I think is it's very, very extreme people who have just latched yes. on to this movement as a way to express their own pathology in uh, some cases.
0: Pathology. Exactly. True. But well, we were just talking about Demi Lovato's pathology and uh, the Froyo. I don't know if you heard about the Froyo restaurant that she was uh, triggered by the Froyo shop because they don't respect her dietary needs. Do better. Cancel the Froyo shop. A lot of times it is a pathology thing but it started in the universities you no know? like is because I, I remember as a philosophy major I was I graduated in 99 and I remember I learned traditional western philosophy and then at the very end we learned postmodernism. and so I I remember the teachers being like all right there's this wacky shit out there <laughs> it's called <laughs> postmodernism. it doesn't make any fucking sense it's not logically coherent but here it is and I remember hearing that this is the beginning of the critical race theory this is the all, all this stuff that we're hearing, like marginalized, like Derrida, that, 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 all this stuff. And now I, I had my head down for 20 years living my life. I put my head up and I'm like, oh, this has become like mainstream thought. And the universities are pushing this shit. And now the kindergartens, it's even started in kindergarten. Um, all this, these we, this, it's like the upside down. It's just being mm-hmm. perpetuated and perpetuated. Yeah, and, they were smart to do that. So go ahead. Yeah, no, no, tell me they're smart to do that. Now it's infecting the science community. And once you kill the scientists, remember we mentioned Galileo at the beginning. <laughs> like, that's it. Your society's fakakta.
1: Yeah, because what you have now is all of the, the kids who are indoctrinating university. They go out into the world and they get jobs and they get promoted in their jobs. So now this is why this is so widespread. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you see this ideology there. And I would say even a couple of years ago, it was not this bad, and and people would say to me, because I would be writing about this, they would say, this is just this very fringe problem that you have in academia. This is never going to affect people in the real world, so we don't have to be worried. But now there's no question. I mean, you, if you don't see it in your workplace, it's because you are willfully turning away from it, I think. I don't think it's possible for people not to see this coming in and infringing on their ability to do their job or just live as human beings. Yes. And again, I'm, I'm all open to these ideas in some regard, like, oh,
0: that's that's really thought provoking or I never thought of that. I wow. Like, yeah, enlighten me. But then when it's becoming a mandate that you must speak the new speak, you must you have to do this this way. Then it's like, yo, is this America, bro? Like, I thought we were still allowed to have different ideas and I can respect you. You respect me like, dude, this is funky. Like, I'm, I'm not about that life you're a sex scientist before we let you go. I I really appreciate you giving me your time. Like it's just such a dream. Of course. All my mom friends were all like frothing, just so excited that I was going to talk to you today. And
1: (laughs) so thank you to your mom friends too.
0: Girl, it's, I feel like it's an undercurrent. It's like, we're this, I'm the secret society of moms (laughs) who are like, dude, are you, do you understand this shit? Like what is going on? I'm not sure I understand this. Like I want to understand. I want to know. Um, you have a PhD in the neuroscience of sex. Whoa, what's the craziest shit you've heard? Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a lot. Oh, I don't know. Let me think of a good one. Okay, I'll start you off. There's yeah, go ahead. <laughs> There's actually so paraphilias. My favorite. I've I listed a couple of para- my favorite paraphilias. There are people actually coolrophilia. This is a paraphilia for for clowns. So people who actually are are sexually attracted to clowns. And that's there. So if you have a true paraphilia, this is your sexual preference. So this is what you need in order to be fulfilled sexually.
0: Wow. And I've seen clown porn. I had a friend into this. So, (laughs) but let me ask you, so how, how do fetishes, how do fetishes start? How does it come to be that one becomes attracted to clowns or dirty diapers or whatever?
1: There is, so we need more research to know this definitively, but there is likely a biological component. So my research was using brain imaging to understand paraphilias. And so it's it was previously believed that they are learned, so through whatever experience in childhood. I think it's likely a mix of biology and experience in terms of people who are paraphilic probably have some sort of underlying um, predisposition biologically and then whatever it is that they gravitate toward is determined by early experiences. So with paraphilias as I say, whatever you're into, that's cool. So long as it's consensual, that's yes. no one's place to judge,
0: man. I just finished listening to a podcast about an adult baby diaper wear. Mm. And I'm fat. I'm like, I love these kinks and stuff. You know, I just, I love it. I'm so vanilla. So when I hear so it, I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the irony, right. That the, yeah. the PhD in sex is like, I'm, I don't care. Um, <laughs> But but to hear this man on this podcast talk about his excitement when he puts on a diaper. I mean, Deborah, it was like, like, (laughs) I have never been that excited about anything in my life. And he was like, I put the diapers on and I feel alive inside. So you're telling me there's a biological component that makes one inclined towards paraphilia in the first place, right? Yeah. So there's an, an initial genetic thing so it's your reptilian wiring that's like I don't know dude there's going to be an object in my future I don't know <laughs> what that special something is and then and then, okay so then is that kind of an uh, 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 obviously is that a misfiring for like wanting to reproduce with another person like does that you know what I mean like does that, that that's counter biology then because then you'd be gravitating right. towards an object versus a person when that endanger the human you know, procreation stuff.
1: Right. That's one thing. that's one reason why I found them so fascinating because it's, I which I want to understand why is it that people find in some cases, like you said, these inanimate objects or behaviors that don't really make sense from an evolutionary perspective. Why is that the thing that they like? Because that doesn't, it's not going to help them procreate. But something like a ba- adults, baby diaper lovers, there's a, probably a masochistic element too. So it's that humiliation so, sexual masochism is being turned on by being humiliated or suffering. So, for some people, the idea of, of being infantilized is embarrassing for them. I guess did he talk about whether he liked people caring for him? Mm-hmm. That can be part mm-hmm. of it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So then he told he talked about the that there are littles. There are people who like to be in little space, like they do age regression play. Is the what the phrase that he used? And then there are adults, like the people who love to take you know be caregivers to mm-hmm. the littles and like change the diaper and and all consensual. Obviously, they're all adults and they have like rules and guidelines and such um humiliation that's interesting i don't recall him doing that one but i probably the need to be cared
1: for and i don't mm-hmm. know so so it's hol- cool too when you see if you see their um i guess you would call it equipment like the cribs are huge yes. have you seen yes, and the I building blocks it. are huge
0: <laughs> i love it and and again like this man's enthusiasm the love of the game you're just like man if i felt that way about anything in life like he's so lucky <laughs> that he's like he knows so so like for vanilla folks like us though so we're just like hey I'm like I'm I'm pretty stoked about missionary but is that because (laughs) 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 but like should I be uncovering a deeper layer or is that just my like am I socialized to be not curious am I am I somehow traumatized into not being more curious
1: no, I don't. Well, paraphilias are predominantly in men. Yeah. That's the other thing.
0: Fucking dude. So the only, paraf-
1: only paraphilia you see in women is, is masochism. So... What? So, okay, masochism uh, is when I hurt myself, right? Yeah, but not all women. It's just, of paraphilias, the only one that you tend to see in women is masochism. Um, but I think that's totally fine. If you're happy and you're content, then nothing wrong with that. So what are these broads
0: like? These are the ones that are into being hit. The women, they like to be hit.
1: Is that what you're telling me? Uh, They could be into, like BDSM is very common. BDSM is not true masochism or sadism because there's consent involved there and boundaries. Wait, it's not true. It's not true. Well, it's not like hardcore real sadism masochism because with BDSM, it's usually more role-playing versus masochism say, or sadism, what's, what's sexually arousing is that the person is actually doing these things and causing pain and suffering. So someone who's a sexual sadist, obviously, I don't agree with this because this is not consensual, but they, (laughs) they find it arousing to seriously hurt their partner or cause their partner psychological suffering. But in BDSM, that's just a role play. So you put it, you're Uh not really trying to damage your partner so what's going on there when someone genuinely wants to
0: harm their partner?
1: I guess it depends. It's hard to say without actually talking to a specific person, but it can be antisociality. Yeah. It can be, um, i trying to think of the patients I've seen. Some kind of psychopathy, is that? Yeah, it could be that. Um, it can be, there's something called coercive paraphilia. So these are men who prefer coercive sex to consensual sex but that's a little bit different from sadism but you will see those together it's a pretty scary mix actually um when you <laughs> say <laughs> scary really but like the fascinating most uplifting topics
0: but yeah i love it i hey it's my fave i mean let's go to the dark side <laughs> of the force that's what this is all about <laughs> awesome so so women are more into masochism that's fascinating and men do more of the harming, which which makes sense, right? Male serial killers and stuff. Is this?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too, for because I hear often that it's very common for men to have partners who want to be roughed up a bit in bed and then they will say, well, I don't know if I'm on board with that because I don't want to hurt you. Mm. And then how do you know if it's really um, consensual, right? Because there are also some women like the idea of having non-consensual sex and then the male partner then has to decide is that something he's actually okay with because that's risky. Yeah. Oh, so I have a today's question. climate. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm
0: really interested. <laughs> Tom and I, have you ever seen <laughs> <laughs> that show? It was on HBO. Come on, the polyamory. Polyamorous. It was a documentary that followed like five different couples. <laughs> Excuse me, Dr. So. What is, okay, Polyamory. <laughs> that kind of does that go against our biological thing of having children together and sticking together too some people would argue that polyamory is more evolved to have multiple partners what does the data say what does the research say
1: Uh, i think hmm. so polyamory is when people have romantic relationships with multiple people yes and so you're asking in the context of child-rearing is it better for them to, or is it a going against human nature? What's going I think- on? Let's talk about what's going on there. And, and is it,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and from a, from a evolutionary, from a biological standpoint, like some people will say that polyamory is a more evolved position and that marriage mm-hmm. is, you know, the man institutional holding us down, keeping the patriarchy, right? Keeping the women in line, reproducing women or property. Um, I don't know. What's the research? Uh, Like, do people flourish under these conditions? Is this
1: something that is healthy and doable? I think more research needs to be done because I would say, I say people like I'm monogamous personally when I'm in a relationship, but I I think people should do what makes them happy. Although I think jealousy is a, a huge issue that many people who go into polyamorous relationships they have to be able to manage the jealousy. And I think some people go into it not realizing because you see this now with young people, especially are told that, like you said, it's enlightened to to be poly. And I think some people are able to manage it and are able to have healthy relationships. But I think a lot of people really underestimate how um, real that emotion is. And it's been beneficial to us to have jealousy when our mate, at the thought of our mate going and being with other people, but I think also for women who say that it's uh, a patriarchal thing, it's, I would say to be in a monogamous relationship or to have a partner who's committed to you, from an evolutionary perspective, it would probably be better for your offspring because you know he's not going to run off with someone else and leave you with your children, and you're, you have to raise them and fend for yourself. So this is the same trend of people who are going in and saying, okay, everything needs to be turned upside down, sexual orientation is fluid and all this other stuff. That's another chapter I have. But.
0: Yes. Talk about that real quick. I know. I'm, I want to keep you here all day because I love you. <laughs> Gender fluidity, sexual fluidity. I remember reading that book on the 90s. Sexual fluidity. Women are allowed to yeah. be sexually fluid.
1: Men, not so much. Uh, well, I think it's it's also just women are biologically probably more flexible in that way in terms of... because Studies have shown that women will be aroused by a range of different things, even if it's not their primary category of interest. So whether a woman is straight or gay, she'll be turned on by, say, if she's looking at pornography of same sex or mixed sex or... I like it (laughs) all, baby! (laughs) Um, What was I saying? So yeah, but with sexual fluidity, I think... That now it's come to mean this idea that you can have sex, you can be attracted to anybody. There's no such thing as sexual orientation. And then, did you see? Actually, there was this trending video about super straights. No. And this poor kid got attacked for saying, and I just say let people be into what they're into and don't don't be so. I mean, I think it's just as bad when people say, oh, it's wrong to be gay. It's just as bad to say you you shouldn't be straight. Now it's coming from the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, I think it's it. I know, and it's so like taboo to say it but i feel kind of bad for the white guys right now i feel kind of bad for the <laughs> straight white guys out there you know i i love those straight white guys like mm-hmm. I, I they're my comrades in stand-up comedy mostly <laughs> straight white guys and they've been really sweet to me for the most part i don't have any horrible tales to tell like i've been really blessed by those straight white guys so fuck can i way. ask you what yeah.
1: has it been like in comedy with all of this woke stuff because you guys have to Fight off the cancelers too. Uh,
0: well, I'll tell you, what was what's really so? I'll talk on, on a broad spectrum, right? Remember, I said Galileo. Okay, first they come after the artists and communism during the Soviet Union. What's the first thing they do? They silence the artists, the musicians. Uh oh. Then they come after the scientists. Uh oh. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's scary. It, it's scary, and it has affected things you can and cannot say i mean i i feel like 10 years ago i could just say shit and just say it and be like look dude i'm not right i'm not i don't know what i am this is my thought it's dumb and here it is and now you can't yeah you have to dance around stuff however i feel like this year of a pandemic has put people put put things in perspective at least the live shows i've been doing suffering chills you the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want to do a good room in comedy, do an AA room. Because those motherfuckers have seen and heard and done everything, and they will laugh at anything. And I think suffering, as collectively we all have as humans this year, has broken down so many of us to be like, well, what do we, wait, what am I supposed to be mad at this week? I don't even fucking care. And I sense there's a loosening in the clubs, which is great. And I predict, I sense a pushback to wokeism. It's coming. It's coming. It's slowly coming. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the backlash will come as more comedians get comfortable and confident. Like when Kevin Hart, they tried to cancel him for, for some joke he told a decade ago. He was like, "I'm not gonna apologize. I already apologized mm. for that shit. Don't make me apologize again." So it's. I think it's coming. It's just going to take a few more of us to be like, all right, dude, are we done with this shit? Cause this isn't the way, cause I do believe in redemption too. Like how can, and yeah. how, like, how can you judge anybody else on what they've been saying? When you mean to tell me like you haven't said anything stupid or inappropriate or offensive your whole life and you're going to ruin somebody's career over a tweet. It's just, it is, it's, uh, what's the, you, the word you use? Pathology, Some, something
1: else is doing there, man. Well, it's crazy to me because these people are treated as though they are so courageous for going after someone and attacking them, but usually it's just they're doing it for their own gain. Whenever you see the person being brought down and the people who are attacking them are never as successful as them.
0: Woo, boom, you nailed that, Dr. Debra So. <laughs> that is the absolute truth, they're not happy. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Like, I go crazy about this. Somebody in a, <laughs> some somebody, was being promoted to a position of... It was a great position for this young person, okay? And... I went to the Instagram account of the, the, the person who had ruined that girl's chance. This person that put that other girl on blast for a tweet she did a million years ago. And I was like, let me see this person. Is this girl... Is she righteous? Is she really... And you look at that Instagram and you're like, this is the most miserable person. Mm. And I actually found myself getting really sad for the the person who canceled the other person and ruined that person's opportunity. Because I was like, dude, you're so sad. I can. It's palpable. Like, you know, when you go to someone's Instagram feed and you're like, you just need a friend. Like, I feel like you guys need a Coke and a smile and like. Dude, let's get laid, bro. Oh, like, yeah. let's fucking smoke a joint together, and I promise you, you will stop this cancel shit tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, maybe we need to put down our phones and, like, go get fucking high together and chill. <laughs> you, you know,
1: right? Deborah, Dr. Debra, come on. Yeah, or I think in a lot of cases, especially when I see people accusing other people of being hateful, it's usually coming from their own. They're projecting their own hateful views. Because then, when that, then sometimes those people who did the initial canceling get canceled, also because people go digging through their social media. <laughs> That's the best. That's the like the best. Why did why did they feel the need in the first place to go after someone? Yeah, so I always question that when I see that. I wonder what their real reasons are.
0: Of course, and and have you ever in your life, Dr. Debra so, author of The End of Gender, which you can buy on <laughs> drdebrayso.com. And get the audiobook too she's got a lovely voice very very smartly
1: thank you you, and you can actually get the audiobook free on audible did you hear that shit?
0: you know what i'm saying like you have to think about the psychology of these people who are like going after anybody or even writing a negative comment on some free shit on youtube like can you even imagine a world where you would be like this sucks we need to get we choose to die like what are you talking about what are you doing stop yourself get into therapy stop anyway that's me. yeah
1: work on yourself work on yourself and be a happy person then you won't need to attack other people strangers on the internet
0: yes and more importantly your research is confirming what i have been ranting about for years now that <laughs> the the gender stuff it sounded off to me it didn't sound intuitively correct so thank you for writing this book, The End of Gender. Read it, please. If you, if you have a doubt, like, hey, I just want to even know more about this. This sounds weird. What is this stuff? Read it. It'll really help you understand. It helped me tremendously. And more importantly, it helps my TikTok feed. Now I can really curate <laughs> those quality talks that I love.
1: Awesome. I love
0: you so much. Is there anything else you would like to say, promote,
1: anything? Uh, I just launched my podcast, which is the Dr. Debra So podcast. I launched that at the start of this month. So I talk to my favorite people, including um, public intellectuals and cultural icons about what's going on in politics. We talk about sex and relationships. My first episode is about selling nudes oh. and what people need to know about before they make this decision because only one side's being presented. So I talked to Eva Lovia, who is a top porn star. We talk about essentially the reality of making a living that way. I'm
0: I'm tuning in already. We love that. Mm-hmm. We're on your mom's house. We're fascinated with panty sellers. Do you have any panty sellers on your show? I can. <laughs> Please do that and then come back on. Come on your mom's house and then tell us about panty sales. Okay, okay I'll do that. <laughs> Doctor Debersot, you're the coolest. Thank you so much for coming on. And, Thank um, you so much. I love yeah, you. You're the best, dude. And when will you come to Texas one day and have a beer with Joe Rogan and my husband and me? Absolutely. Yes. All right. I love <laughs> you. I love you. Okay, until next time. Stay cool, moms. Bye meows. Where
1: my moms, where my mom's, where my mom's at? Where my moms wearing tongs hidden longs at. Raising kids, cleaning shits, need a long nap. Where my mom's, where my mom's, where my mom's at?